Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Father, you know what's going on in our hearts and in our minds, and you know that some of us here might be feeling unsettled and anxious. Some of us here might be feeling uh, concerned and worried about the world around us or, or work or our relationships or whatever is going on that is causing us um, to feel a bit of unsettledness. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will be at work in us now, Lord, to, to settle our hearts, to give us focus, to want to humble ourselves before it, to want to hear from you and to want to think through what it looks like to to shape our lives around the gospel, around Jesus, as we hear about who Jesus is. I I pray now, Lord, as we get into this uh, sermon about uh, the Sabbath and who Jesus is and what he came to do, that, Lord, that you will uh, move our hearts to think about what it looks like to to live for Jesus, to to be people of God, to be a people who want to make him known in our world. I pray that this will be um, what you do in our lives and what you do in our hearts now as we sit under it. We pray for this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. I think there are generally two extremes when it comes to people following rules and laws. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one, but there's a first type who who thrive off rules, right? People who love rules and laws and, you know, laws and rules are there for, uh, for a good reason. They should be upheld to the utmost degree, right? People who love that sort of stuff, they, they thrive with it. Then there's others, the second type of people who think rules are there to be broken, <laughs> and they're there, uh, and they make a law upon themselves, essentially, and, and, and they're the two extremes. I generally see that a lot in life, and I see that with people. Now, I think I'm somewhere possibly in the middle, uh, and I think everyone thinks they're in the middle, like everyone thinks they're balanced, but I'm in the middle. Let me explain why. <laughs> I think sometimes laws can be very, let's talk about the law, I think sometimes laws can be very outdated or irrelevant. Sometimes ambiguous even, that leads, you know, something that strives for justice leads to injustice. Uh, I, I, I am the type of person, if you ask me what do I think about it, I'm like, uh, sometimes laws are just good as guidelines. Guidelines, you know, maybe okay to be flexible with. Now, before you call the cops on me, let me explain. Let me give you an example, okay. Uh, it's illegal to jaywalk, we all know that. Illegal to jaywalk, you can get an on-the-spot fine if you jaywalk in the city. Um, but what about jaywalking in the middle of the night? Honestly, think of it. Have you, have you thought about this? I think about this all the time. If I jaywalked in the middle of the night and there are no cars around, but the man is still red, the little man is still red, would I get a fine? It's still illegal to jaywalk, but you would do it, wouldn't you? You would. Let's be honest. Did you know in Melbourne, in Victoria, I think in Victoria, uh, I read this online at least, <laughs> that it's illegal to fly a kite at the annoyance of someone else. If someone's annoyed at you flying a kite, you could get fined. Now, how do you define annoyance? How do you, how do you what is, is, what vicinity, is it 100 meters within someone's, you know, someone down the street doesn't like you flying a kite on the other side? Like, let's think about that one for a second. That's interesting. This last one's really interesting. I have this, this illustration. It's illegal to urinate in a public place, right? We all know that. You can get fined in Sydney, at least in New South Wales, up to $660, or even, at, at its worst, thrown into jail for three months for urinating in a public place. All right. I know if you're desperate 
the middle of the night, no one's around, there's no public toilets close by, I know what you're going to do. I know if there's a tree or bush nearby, nature calls, right? How do we define public place anyways? I mean, if you're at the beach and you're swimming in the water and the toilet's all the way over there and you're in the ocean, it's a public place, we all know what you're doing. We all know what you're doing under, you know. How do we define that? Now, I'm not saying I do any of that, okay? Let's, I'm not saying that. But how do we, let's ask the question when, as Christians, right? How do we come before God and his laws? I think we can all admit that at some point in life, when we look at laws and rules around us, we are on that sort of spectrum of extremes. You know, some of us are really uptight with our laws and we think they're really important. Others are very flexible. You, you might want to sit on a bench and eat a kebab during lockdown, right? Like that's the sort of flexibility some people have. We all come at, that, that happened last year. And you know, you think about these differing perspectives and we all come with it differently, with different approaches. But how do we come at God's laws and commands as Christians? If that's who we are, if, if we're Christians. Many look at Christians and I can assume, uh, and we hear this a lot actually, that they look at Christians as, a, as that uptight, snobby bunch of people, just blindly following rules in an effort to make God happy. Right? Uh, and, and there are others even in churches who will laugh at those types of Christians and, and they will think that, well, God's laws are outdated. Just believe in God. That's all you need to do. You're all good. The two extremes happen in churches as well, the way that we see God's laws. What we see in today's passage is we see Jesus and how he gives us an altogether different approach. And he does that by addressing specifically the laws of the Sabbath. All right, we're going to get into that in a second. But he's going to address the laws of the Sabbath and what it looks like to obey God. What we're going to do is we're going to hear the story again, what's happening with Jesus in this um, part of Mark's gospel, and understand what's going on, why there's an issue, and how Jesus gives us a solution how that matters to us, and thirdly, how that matters to us today. Jesus is going through a grain field, right? And he's going through this grain field with his disciples, and he's plucking uh, heads of grain, crushing them and eating them, presumably. They're, they're, they're plucking to eat it, all right? But the day is a Sabbath day, right? Uh, for Israel, that's a holy day. The Pharisees, they want to catch them out on this, like call them out on this. And the Pharisees, if you don't know, they're a religious sect in Judaism, uh, Jewish leaders of synagogues, um, the higher-ups, essentially. They were well-versed in their scriptures, experts in God's laws. Uh, the ones, uh, they had their Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and they're reading it all the time. They're teaching people about it. Now, they're watching Jesus and his disciples go through this grain, this, this, um, grain field picking grains. And they're calling them out. They, they're calling them out because what Jesus and his disciples, from their perspective, is they're doing work. There's a problem there. The Bible explains the world was created in seven days, right? And when on the seventh day, we learn that God rested from his work. And he set that day apart to be holy, to be the Sabbath day. It became enshrined in the Ten Commandments of Moses, right? And so what happens is uh, one of the commandments, it says this, the seventh day is holy, set apart. Let's read it. I've got it on the screen, I think. Exodus 28 to 11. For then the Sabbath was Saturday, by the way. That's the end of the week. Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So God commands his people to follow the, this rhythm of work and rest on the seventh. That was there at creation. Now, God himself doesn't need to rest. He is God. He's infinite. He's unlimited power, energy, all that sort of stuff. He doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't have limited capacity like us. We need rest. And so this command was given to Israel, not just for Israel, though, but also for those around Israel, their family, their servants, their foreigners amongst them. God wants his people to see him and worship him and rest on the seventh day. And the purpose of that, when we do that, is when we take that day off a week, we're implicitly expressing an acknowledgement, uh, a celebration even of God's design for us, that he wants us to rest in him on that day. It's a good thing. And so it was understood that from Friday night to Saturday night, you don't work. You don't cook food. You prepare all the food the day before. You let that day, the Sabbath, be a day for God. Now, some Christians, many Christians, still practice Sabbath in, in different forms. Some are very strict about it, so they don't cook any food on that day, and they, um, they, they create their own sort of rules for that day. Some, I, I know some that will only watch Christian television on Sundays and listen to Christian music and read Christian books. And that's, that's their prerogative. Some others are, uh, are flexible about how they see Sabbath, uh, a good day for them to disconnect from them to, to regulate that. Isn't that interesting? Do you think that was there originally in the Bible, though? Do you think God listed out all those 39 articles and said, you can't do any of these things on the Sabbath? This became a tradition, and it became enshrined in their law. This idea of plucking grains, that's reaping. And they wanted to pin this on Jesus and his disciples and say, you're breaking the Sabbath law by doing work, by doing labor. Now, what is interesting is Jesus knows they're trying to trap him. So he... I don't know, he's out in this grain field, he's talking to them, That's, I, I imagine that. And he's talking to them in here in verse 25. Uh, he says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. I love this part because Jesus is talking to these experts in the law, in the Jewish scriptures, and what is he doing? He's telling them what's written in the Jewish scriptures. He wants them to remember that story of the great King David of Israel, right? A, a great man in Israel's history that everyone would know about if you were Jewish. You can, and you can read about this account, this specific account that he's talking about in 1 Samuel 21, if you're, if you're taking notes and you want to read that later. David was with his soldiers on the run from King Saul at the time. They went into this temple, the, the temple of God, and he, uh, Jesus, says the high priest gave David some bread that was unlawful for David to eat. This was unlawful because that bread was a holy consecrated bread. It was set apart for the priest to eat. Only the priest could eat. It was unlawful for anyone else. But the high priest gave that bread to David to eat. It was unlawful, but David ate it, and so did his soldiers. And so Jesus wants to tell them, why are you holding us up for plucking grain when my disciples need to eat? You know, this idea that he, he wants to, them to get is this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? The laws were made for the good of humanity, for God's people. If you need to eat and it will require you to even <laughs> break the law, their laws, essentially, we're not breaking the Sabbath, we're breaking their regulations of how they interpret the Sabbath, then we'll break those regulations so that my people can eat. That's what Jesus is saying. The idea of Sabbath itself wasn't meant to be burdensome. It wasn't meant to be a rule based on fear. 
But isn't that how we as Christians are often viewed? Isn't that what Christianity is viewed as? It's, we, we follow rules that God has given to us because we're afraid of God. I'm so sure that the people outside of, many people outside of church view Christians as a, a bunch of people that are trying to follow laws so they don't get punished. If we do break the laws, God will strike us down. He will send us to hell. Isn't that how Christianity is often portrayed? How people often believe what Christianity is about? And sadly, yes, it's probably because there are Christians who live this way, or they teach this, they hear this in church from pastors or Bible teachers who instill this fear that to be a Christian is to believe in a God who will punish you if you don't obey his commands. But we shouldn't also be surprised because many people see Christianity as just some other religion. And we look at religions and we see this pattern, don't we? With other religions, most religions are based on that principle. Follow the law and you'll get accepted. Follow the law and you'll get favored. If you obey, you will be rewarded with heaven or nirvana or enlightenment or some sort of blessing. But the Bible doesn't teach us that. It says we're accepted because of Jesus, of the gospel. It says we're accepted because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But let's take the law for a second and consider it. If we were uh, someone living in Israel in ancient times, when you read your, the Jewish Bible, when you read the Bible, you'll see that in the Old Testament particularly, the laws of God in the Bible were, were loved. They were embraced. They were a gift. Read Psalm 1, for example, and you can read this later, but you'll hear about how they meditated on it. They delighted on the laws of God. They, they embraced it. It was appreciated. They dwelt on the laws of God day and night. It was a gift to the people. To ancient Israel, the law was how God leads people to life, to beauty, to meaning, to security, to freedom and hope. The laws were a good thing. And that's what Jesus is trying to get, get across to them. The Sabbath in, it originally was made for man. That's the idea of Sabbath. It was given to the people to rest, to enjoy God and his blessings, to delight in him and his creation. But it became so highly regulated that instead of being a gift, it became a burden. And see, these Pharisees, they were so religious, they were so caught up in the details rather than what it was intended for. And isn't that what the second Sabbath story is about too? Picking up from, what, chapter 3. Uh, what happens is there's a, they're in a synagogue, and there's a man with a shriveled hand. We don't know what that means. Broken, disabled in some way. Jesus asked this man to stand up in front of everyone. He asked the questions to the crowds. It says, verse 4, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the men, stretch out your hand. He stretched out and his hand was completely restored. You see, Jesus felt anger in this moment because they didn't get it. He was super distressed, sad as well. They were selfish, they were insecure, trying to pin a crime on him with all their added regulations and interpretations of the law. The question is simpler. Do you do good or do you do evil on the Sabbath? Save a life or kill? This man needs help. Jesus isn't going to just ignore him. He has the power to help him. The Sabbath was made for man. And so this day of rest, what does that really essentially mean? The Sabbath is a day for restoration, repairing the broken. Right? When you rest on your day off, don't you feel refreshed, rejuvenated? That's the idea. And so there's this man who... Here's an opportunity for Jesus to restore him, his shriveled hand, to repair the broken To heal this man's broken hand is precisely what the Sabbath is all about. The Pharisees are watching Jesus. 
And they want to do anything they can to pin on him, uh, pin something, a crime on him to get him in trouble. And Jesus is looking at them. And he's so sad and angry. What does God want from us? To obey these man-made regulations surrounding the law of the Sabbath or to look at what's at the heart of the Sabbath, to do good. And there are, there, are no, there are allusions here, right? But I think to passages in the Old Testament, the scriptures, that what God desires of his people is that it's not about the rituals and the sacrifices, it's about a heart that is cleansed, that loves God, that has the right, that has pure intentions and motivations. So Psalm 51, it's a, it's a psalm about repentance. It, uh, King David comes before God, repenting of his sin, and he says, My sacrifice, O God. It's not about animals. My sacrifice to God is a broken spirit, a, a broken and contrite heart. That's the sacrifice he wants to give to God, his heart. You go to Hosea 6, it was one of the prophets. Hosea is one of the prophets, and God is speaking here, for I desire, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What matters more to him? You can burn as many offerings as you want. But if your heart's not in the right place with God, he doesn't want that. He wants you to come before him with that humility with a heart that's humble before him. See, for the Pharisees, they're so caught up with the details, their interpretations and regulations. But Jesus wants to get them to reflect on their hearts and how that shapes how we live, live out God's laws. So the day of Sabbath is a day for man, not man for the Sabbath. They're so caught up in their religion. But when we come to religion, we often, the, the problem is, when we come to religion, we often come to God asking the wrong question, starting off on the wrong foot. I can imagine on Sabbath morning, many people start the day with the question, what is on my list of things I can't do today? But that's the wrong attitude. That's not what we should be starting our days with. We should start the Sabbath with, what does God want me to enjoy this day? What are the blessings God wants me to enjoy on, his, on this Sabbath? What grace or blessing? Isn't that the same with, with how we're supposed to come before God as Christians? Do we come before God as Christians saying, do I, does this, if I do this, will God hate me? Will God be angry at me? Or do I come before God saying, thank you, God, I want to live for you. When we're doing that, when we think about what am I allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do as a Christian, if that's all our focus is upon, we're missing the whole point of who Jesus is. We're, all, we're missing the point of the gospel. The bigger picture is what the spirit of the law was. It was for good. It was for the good of God, the good of others around them. Instead, the Pharisees, they want to do the exact opposite, don't they? On this Sabbath day, what do they want to do? They want to plan on how they can kill and bring this man to justice, bring, bring punishment to Jesus. That's how it ends. They're planning with the Herodians how they can kill Jesus on the Sabbath day. What we need to see and understand is that Jesus actually gives us a third way to live. Not one that's anti-law. He's not saying that the Sabbath is bad. But it's not one that's enslaved to religion either. While the laws were given to man to enjoy and know and live out God's purposes for them, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is the Sabbath. I designed it and I will fulfill it. And that's the big statement in the middle. That sandwich between these two stories. Mark always, Mark's gospel always has these sandwiches, and it's going to come up a lot later. But we got these two stories of Sabbath, and what's at the center of these two stories? Jesus' statement. What does he say? The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's him, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That means that's really an important statement we've got to pick up. 
Let me explain why that's important. Mark keeps asking the question, right? Who is this myth? In this scenario with Jesus, it's about the Sabbath, yes, but it's speaking at a larger issue about the Pharisees, what they're caught up with, with their law and the religion. And how Jesus here, he's saying, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to fulfill it and I'm going to bring freedom. I'm going to bring life. I'm going to bring the rest that, that the Sabbath gives. But let me break it down even further. When we come to the idea of religion, what do we usually see? Like I said earlier, we see a set of rules, don't we, that need to be obeyed to be right with God. That's religion. When we come to the one uh, who is Lord, then when we come to Jesus, what do we see? We see that it's through him. Through Jesus, we've been made right with God. You know, where religion is, uh, I, uh, I do to have, I obey, therefore I, I can uh, have the reward. Gospel says, the gospel of Jesus says, I already have, therefore I do. When Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, what is he saying? He's saying, yes, Sabbath is rest, but the rest we so desperately need isn't going to be found in a 24-hour day. As good as that is, right? A few months ago, you guys, most of you were probably here when I preached a talk on rest. Uh, during our hustle series, I encourage you to consider what does rest look like if it's a gift from God. It might look like switching off devices, spending time with God, spending time with loved ones, all that sort of stuff. The idea of Sabbath is about flourishing. It's about restoration, weaving that in through the rhythms of our lives. Yes, but Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath, pointing us to something far greater, isn't he, than one day off a week from not doing work. Who is this man? He's the one who offers us a great, a deeper rest for our souls, the divine rest that we're all searching for in this life. What's that got to do with law-keeping, though? Well, here's the thing about religion. We'll always feel like we haven't done enough. When we're trying to keep up with the laws and all the rules around us, we will always feel like it's never good enough. We'll always find details, little details in our actions, in our speech, that aren't perfect. There'll be times where we will fall short. We'll fail at times of keeping all the rules, God rules, even the man-made rules, right? And the laws around us. But no matter how much work we do to be good people, no matter uh, how much good works we do, and that's a noble endeavor, yes, how will we ever know that we've done enough to please God? Isn't all that work exhausting? Always questioning, feeling anxious that we're not good enough. It's so tiring living like Pharisees, always getting caught up in the fine print, breaking law simply by plucking grains. Jesus is making a big claim when he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. We need to change the way we look at God's laws. And when he's saying that, he's giving a hint to the question, who is this man? He's giving us a hint to who he is. He's the greater David, the greater King David that has come, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who will bring us a divine rest that only God can give. We know that. 2,000 years later, we know that because he goes to the cross. What does he do there? He finishes the work that we can't. He lives a life that was perfect and holy, that was good and pleasing to God on our behalf. And at his sacrifice and death, he says the words, it is finished. You know, you know, God, after seven days, six days, he created the world. On the seventh day, he says, it's finished. Jesus at the cross says, the work is finished. We can find rest for our souls. When we come before Jesus, we see that our, 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 our sins have been paid for. When we come to the Sabbath, we should change the way we see the Sabbath, because the Sabbath really is just a shadow, isn't it? A shadow of the cross. 
a shadow of, of what, what Christ has done there. Our sins can be forgiven so that before God we can have acceptance and we can stop having to work for forgiveness, be burdened by religion, but instead live by faith because of this man who is Lord of the Sabbath. While we might come to rules and laws with different hearts and perspectives, we do come before God's laws through Jesus. He's the one who fulfills the laws for us. So how will we, let's go back to the original question, how do you approach Christianity and God's law for us? I know it's so easy to make it religious. If I just go through the motions every week, then God will be pleased with me. Just do good things, God will be happy. Jerry Bridges, he's a Christian author, he talks about how we so naturally drift into performance mode when it comes to our relationship with God. We think so, uh, so much uh, good behavior for me generates so much affection from God. So much bad behavior from, from me generates anger from God. And so God's relationship to me is uh, how God thinks of me is ultimately dependent on how I'm doing. And isn't that natural for many of us? It's about my performance. That's the trap we fall into. We compare ourselves, we look around the church and we compare ourselves to others and we think, oh, look at how much good work I've done. Look at how obedient I am. Surely God favors me more. On the other end of the spectrum, for others, we're irreligious. We're anti-law. We think, yeah, Jesus loves me so I can live my life without any concern for God's commandments. Because God will love me anyways, even if I disregard all his laws. And we forget, don't we, in those moments, who is Lord and King? Who calls us to live following him? Saying I'm a Christian, that's enough. Jesus comes with this, he says, choose me to come to him with our burdens, with our works, and, say to, and he says to us to trust him, to follow him, and through him obey God. We're not working for acceptance anymore. We've already been accepted. We serve God. We follow his commandments because we want to joyfully obey Jesus, the one who's died for us, the Lord of the Sabbath. Christianity isn't about doing more, trying harder. Christianity is again and again, look to Jesus, go deep. Here's the thing, it's so easy to think Jesus is only good for the beginning, right? To get in with God. If I just believe I'm in with God, I'm on his good side. And it ignites perhaps a passion for Christianity for a short while. You guys will go through this thing we call it spiritual high. I don't know if you ever used that term before to describe your faith. But you know what? Jesus is also the fuel that keeps us going. Jesus alone is why we obey, why we love, why we live for God. Our joy in him and his grace that saves us, it sustains us so that we can pursue obedience. Christianity is not religion or irreligion. It's about hearts changed by grace that desire now to live for Jesus in joy. So when you ask the question, how do I, do I have to live for God? It's not that you have to live for God. It's you get to live for God. That's the beauty of the gospel. You've been saved. Not by your work, but by Christ's sacrifice for you. But let's think about another practical application of this passage that teaches us about rules and laws, right? I think we have to be clear the Bible does have rules. It does have laws, it has commandments, right? Some of them are very black and white. There's a reason why it says, thou shall not kill, and don't lust after your neighbor's wife. We'd all agree they're good things we should obey, right? God gives us those commands, they're pretty black and white. Uh, there's commands to go and tell people about Jesus, to be on mission. There's a command to be generous and not greedy. There are things that are very clear when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. There are rules. There are laws that God puts then as if we follow Jesus. God, Jesus himself says, love God and love one another and love our neighbor. While Jesus fulfills much of the ceremonial ritual laws, though, 
he calls us to 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 to, to um, follow God's commands. So here's the thing, right? While there are rules, we can't put rules around rules. Do you know what I mean by that? Rules around rules. We can, there, there's there's a freedom. There's a flexibility in how we live out God's laws. Let, uh, let me give you an example. Right? Everyone's got different contexts, and sometimes we have to live in the gray. Let me give you an example. You might choose not to drink alcohol. That's a good. I mean, that's good for you. Right? You might have been. Uh, you might have recovered from being an alcoholic, and so you've uh, made a conviction in your heart that you're not going to touch another drop of alcohol. That's a good thing for you. But the Bible doesn't say you should never drink alcohol. It does say we shouldn't be drunkards, be sober-minded. It does talk about how we shouldn't be addicted to much wine. But there's not a command that says you can't drink a drop of wine. But as soon as we start setting up that rule around the rule for others, what are we doing? We're, we're creating our own man-made laws for others to have to follow. There are some things that are very black and white, yes. But there are other things where we have to figure out how we live it out in our context. We have to figure out how do we live in the grey. And we can't tell others how they should live that out either, that law. It's going to look different for different people. But lastly, though, I think Jesus wants us to ultimately consider what's at the heart of why you're doing what you're doing. What's at the heart of it? What's your intention or motivation? Is it to glorify and honor God, to love people and love others? Oh man, it's so easy to be self-righteous, isn't it, when we're Christians? So easy to be proud about what we've done today, the good we've done in the world. It's, it's so easy to be strict with rules. We do this thing sometimes, well, I've seen this happen. You go, you go to church every single week, which is such a good thing to do. <laughs> Sign up for serving ministries, that's such a good thing to do. I 100% encourage that stuff. But when you attend and you serve, you could do all that and still be an arrogant, selfish, greedy jerk. Yeah, you're competent. That's great. That's important in some sense, but, you know, sure, you know your Bibles and you teach it to others, great, but your character, your heart, it's narcissistic, it's proud, it's selfish, self-righteous. Do you think that's what God wants? Your competency? Or do you think he wants your character? Jesus wants us to consider our hearts. You know, there's, um, I'll finish with this old, I think the word is adage. Adage? Idiom, adage, adage. There's an old adage. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Have you guys heard that before? Don't miss the forest for the trees. The idea is sometimes uh, we can get so fixated on the tree. Oh, it's beautiful, right? The leaves, the colors, the bark texture, whatever. And we get so distracted by the tree when there's a whole forest of trees in front of us. And Jesus wants us to step back. Get up high. Climb the mountain if you need to. See the big picture. There's a forest far grander, far more majestic. And for us, that's him. For us as Christians, that's him. He's the forest. It's not about how much we can accomplish in this life for Jesus. Some will accomplish heaps in this life. They will, they will, they will achieve a lot for Jesus and the gospel and for God. And there will be others who will struggle and barely make it over the finish line. But yet we all have the same goal, don't we? The same joy to live faithful lives shaped by a thankful, humble, joyful obedience to God and his commands. Motivated, empowered by Jesus who gives us true rest. Friends, how are you going to live for God? How are you going to uh, approach the laws and commandments of God? 
And when it comes to Jesus, he says that we can lay down our religion, our religion, and in him we can find our rest. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that in Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, we can find our deep rest for our souls. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you don't call us uh, to be a people who uh, are trying to achieve something that we can't, are trying to achieve perfection when we can't. Help us to be real with ourselves. Help us to look into our hearts and acknowledge our faults and our flaws. But in doing so, help us to cling to the cross of Jesus. Help us to see, Lord, that we can't even have a relationship with you without him. We can't approach the throne of mercy and grace without him. He is our great substitute, our great redeemer, our great sacrifice. And Lord, help us to appreciate that and embrace that. And when we understand the beauty of grace, the beauty of his love and mercy for us, help us, Lord, to be a people who are chasing after you and your 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 law and your commandments help us to be people who delight in the laws a people who want to please you because you're the god worth worthy of our worship worthy of our allegiance help us lord to, to show that to others around us as well so that the world around us doesn't see us as christians blindly following some law but because we are people who are joyful and humble knowing that your law is a delight to follow knowing that it's because of Jesus we get to have life, have purpose, have freedom. And because of that, we can pursue an obedience that pleases you and glorifies your name above our own. We do pray for this, Lord, that you'll be at work by your spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, can I give you guys a few seconds?